We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had an amazing holiday weekend. My wife and I got out of town to Puerto Penasco, or Rocky Point, as some of you guys know it, down in Mexico. For us desert-faring folks, us Arizonans, Rocky Point is a very popular vacation destination because it's only about three and a half hours down the road from Tucson to get to an ocean. 
it was amazing. I relaxed, got away from the game of basketball for a little bit, which was nice. I haven't done that in a long time. Food was amazing. Very, very enjoyable trip. I am happy to be back though. And we have a lot to get into today. We had a very interesting report from Adrian Wojnarowski on the Kevin Durant trade situation that I want to get into. Just kind of update on all the latest intel that we have there. We're going to talk some Kyrie Irving. Why I think he's not a Laker yet. Some specific hallmarks from trade negotiations that typically mean that something's about to happen. That we'll get into here a little bit. And then at the end, the one trade that did happen while I was out of town. Rudy Gobert. The Minnesota Timberwolves. Giving up a lot. A lot of stuff. Five players, four first-round draft picks, and a pick swap for Rudy Gobert, setting an outrageous star trade market to start this summer. We're going to get into all of the details from that trade. What I think was a very a very interesting misread of the way the league is heading from Tim Connolly that we'll get into some X's and O's stuff later on in the show, so stick around for that. Uh, but let's get started with KD. So, you know, up front... I think one of the things that people were missing on this specific trade was it doesn't resemble any of the other recent superstar trades. Like when we look at James Harden wanting to get out of Brooklyn, he was a shell of himself. His value was incredibly low compared to his peak. Even when he got traded from Houston, he was actively sabotaging that situation so much that it scared away a lot of teams, diminished his own value. You know, we look at Paul George, no, we, no one even knew he was available, right? It was a one-man bidding war between the, in the Clippers, and to the Thunder's credit, they got everything out of them, right? Kawhi Leonard, that trade, if you remember, we hadn't even seen him play in a long time because of the right-knee tendinopathy thing. And when he did go play, it didn't look like Kawhi Leonard. So there, there's just not a great example recently of a bona fide top five player at the peak of his powers who is not a malcontent, who doesn't have any sort of drama attached to him that wants a trade. It's very, very unusual. That's why his value is so much higher than I think people realize. And that's why teams like Phoenix and Miami didn't make a ton of sense to me initially when they were brought up. I understand why they'd make sense for KD. I mean... These are basketball teams that have just about every box checked except for alpha dog superstar. Yes, Jimmy Butler can be it on any given night, but as you saw in that series against the Celtics, it's like you're going to get two or three heroic performances out of him, and then in the other three or four, he's going to be pretty mediocre to flat out bad sometimes. It's a very interesting experience with Jimmy Butler. And then we go to Phoenix, and... They were like the perfect basketball team minus a superstar, right? So it makes a lot of sense, and I get that. But the truth of the matter was, is you just knew Brooklyn was going to want a lot for Kevin Durant, as they should, especially in light of everything that went down during the time that KD and Kyrie were in this partnership with the franchise. They're going to want a really, really good basketball player in that trade. They're going to want a lot of draft picks. They're probably going to want quality role players, too. That's the other unique angle to this trade. Brooklyn is not incentivized to lose. Because all of their draft picks are going to the Houston Rockets, there's just nothing to gain from them losing. So they're in the weird predicament where they want to actually take in as many draft picks as possible, but win as many games as possible. Because you're basically establishing a culture and all the other benefits that come from winning when a draft pick is not the reward at the end. 
So there's always going to be a different type of negotiation compared to some of the star trades that we've seen in the past. And if I'm Brooklyn, I just don't think DeAndre Ayton is a foundational piece in a league where the center position is like the running back is in the NFL, the most easily replaceable position in the league. DeAndre Ayton might be one of the top three or four role player centers, meaning not counting Jokic or Embiid. He might be a top three or four role player center in the entire league. But for a veteran minimum contract, let's say Damian Jones, who's playing for the Lakers next year and played for the Kings last year, a Damian Jones can give you 60 to 70% of what Ayton can do for a veteran minimum contract. That's the league that we, le- we live in now. That just that specific position is not as valuable as the other areas around the floor. Mikael Bridges, very good basketball player, defensive player of the year type of candidate. Very clearly not an offensive star. That just that hasn't developed to this point in his career. It doesn't mean it can happen, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And then we looked over at Miami, and Tyler Harrow's not that guy either. Very similar type of deal. He's a bench scorer in this league and doesn't do enough defensively to really hold down a starting spot. Bam Adebayo, in addition to being legally incapable of being jammed into this trade, is another one of those guys that I'm not sure really moves the needle for Brooklyn a lot. That's why, if you guys remember, I pointed out two teams as teams that I thought had the best chance to get Kevin Durant and the teams that I thought should put their name in the hat. It was the Toronto Raptors and the New Orleans Pelicans. Why did I bring up those teams? I brought up those teams because they immediately have two things that will be very appealing to the Brooklyn Nets. A shit ton of draft picks and a bona fide, sure thing, young NBA up-and-coming star. I don't know a lot about Scotty Barnes, and I don't know a lot about Zion Williamson. Specifically with Scotty Barnes, it remains to be seen whether or not his offensive development keeps up at the pace that like a Giannis did, who's a similar archetype as a young player in this league. And with Zion, it's health and body weight, stuff like that, right? They have some question marks. But we can be relatively certain with both of them that they will have many seasons where they are way better than DeAndre Ayton, Bam Adebayo, or Mikael Bridges could ever be because they have a firm ceiling on, on what they're capable of that has been clearly defined over the course of the last couple of seasons in the NBA. But, you know, Scotty Barnes kind of looks like a similar type of player to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Obviously, Giannis is going to go down as an all-time great. So I'm just saying in a similar type of archetype, not as good, could be not as good, but that type of archetype of player. Giant point forward that can be an all-world defensive player that is physically just impossible to match up with and was honestly a very impressive player despite playing through injury during his first playoff series this year in terms of his overall impact on both ends of the floor. And then Zion Williamson, I mean, even if the Pelicans don't trade him, thinking about him next year surrounded with all the shooting that they're going to have, uh, he's going to be outrageously good. Uh, and he's just going to be kind of like Blake Griffin was there during the 2010s. Like on the low end, he'll be the 10th best player in the league. He'll be the 7th best player in the league, right? He's going to be a 25 and 13 guy in this league when he's healthy. So those guys are your clear-cut assets that a team like Brooklyn would absolutely want. Or I'm going to get all the draft picks to refill my coffer so I can start drafting each year. And this one singular all-world talent that I can develop over the course of the next few years to possibly partner with one of these draft picks. They, those two teams always made the most sense. In this report that came out today from Woj, 
and we're going to talk about the, the specific team you mentioned here in a second, but he talked about how every other team around the league needed to facilitate this deal with a third team. What does that tell you? That tells you Brooklyn isn't seeing the combination of things that they want from the singular teams that they're talking to. Because in their predicament, it would make sense that they would want a sure thing type of prospect as opposed to a maybe type of prospect or a more developed prospect that's not good enough, like a Mikhail Bridges, a Tyler Harrow, or a DeAndre Ayton. So Woj specifically said today that the Raptors are the team that could have KD now if they want him. They have the pieces necessary to do a one-on-one deal with the Brooklyn Nets. I saw some other intel elsewhere today that the Pelicans are kind of bowing out of that race for the time being. I actually thought it would be the opposite. I thought the Pelicans would be more likely because of Zion's injury concerns, because of Zion's weight concerns. I just thought it made more sense for them to bail out of that situation, especially with all the intel from Zion potentially not being happy with the Pelicans. I know he signed the deal for the money, but he strikes you as your classic dude who's going to leave after that deal, right? I always thought Scotty Barnes, you know, was was it made more sense to keep in that between those two specific scenarios. So, interestingly enough, Toronto is the team that has kind of entered into that discussion. Now, we've seen Toronto do this specific thing before. Target the win now star with Kawhi Leonard and it worked for them. And that's probably why Masai Ujiri has been more interested in potentially making this type of deal. Here's why it makes sense to me. For both teams, if I'm Zion, if I, if I have Zion under team control, or if I have Scotty Barnes under team control, again, your best case scenario is he develops into a top five player, and maybe for five to seven years, you can have him under team control as a top five player in the league and make some runs at a championship, right? That's the goal. That's what you want to do drafting in the NBA. Well, if you could have Kevin Durant right now, a sure thing top five player in the league, who, again, we can say all we want about Kyrie. KD is a great part of any franchise, a, a consummate professional. And the dude loves to play basketball. So all the drama stuff, it's just not there with KD. So if I could have that guy right now, even if you just told me, hey, Jason, in this four years, he's only going to be an all-world MVP candidate for two or three of them. Even if you just told me that, I'd rather for sure have two or three cracks at a title, then maybe five to seven cracks at a title, maybe in the distant future with these young players. And that's hoping that I've got the requisite pieces around them to do so, unlike the Cavs with LeBron in the late 2000s, right? That's the, that's the predicament here. Right now, if you're Toronto, and you can flip Scotty Barnes and salary filler, like a Fred Van Vliet or something, to the Nets... You right now have the pieces. If I'm rolling out lineups with OG Ananobi and Kevin Durant and, and, and Pascal Siakam and, and Boucher and, and Birch, like that's an outrageously athletic two-way lineup. And Kevin Durant fills a super specific need for that group, which was high-end offensive creation. So like, why would you cling to a guy like Scotty Barnes to hopefully in the future roll him out as a top five player with a bunch of good role players when you could do that right now with Kevin Durant and get a trophy right now. If Kevin Durant gets flipped for Fred Van Vliet and Scotty Barnes and salary filler 
even if they tossed in OG, as long as they keep Pascal Siakam and Kevin Durant with all the other length and athleticism that they have, they instantly become a top-tier contender to me. With their coaching, who as we remember from this playoff run, that coaching is so vitally important, like we saw from Eric Spolstra and from, and from Steve Kerr, right? Go down to the New Orleans Pelicans, same type of deal. If I can flip Zion Williamson and some other salary filler towards Brooklyn and get back Kevin Durant, and I'm rolling out Kevin Durant, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, I instantly have, it's a less athletic version of what was going on in Toronto, but way more offensively coherent, right? With Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum. That's a top tier contender overnight. So David Griffin, who has backed out of this discussion for whatever reason, you're hoping in the future to roll out Zion Williamson as a top five player and a bunch of role players to win a title. How about you do that now with Kevin Durant? That, that, that's why those two teams were the two teams that I had my eye on. I'm impressed by the Raptors for sticking their name in that discussion, and I hope they close the deal because they're a very well-run organization. They will find another player, the quality of Scotty Barnes in the future, just like they did with Scotty because they're a smart basketball team. And I have no doubts that they can do this like they did with Kawhi, like they did in the last couple years, and like this potential Kevin Durant situation, perennially be the team that is a mix of excellent culture, excellent coaching, excellent management, excellent ownership that can ride the tide of finding talent in the draft, finding talent outside the draft, finding talent in free agency, finding talent in the trade market, being the team that can do all of those things. That's how you get to this point where you're consistently in the conversation as a team that can win the title. And, I, and I'm impressed by them. I hope they put what is necessary down to close this deal. Now, Kyrie is the one piece that's waiting in the wings here. So first of all, Laker fans have every reason to feel confident that Kyrie Irving is going to eventually be a Laker. The reason why they should feel that way is because Kyrie and the Lakers make sense. And none of the other situations really make any sense. Even the Dallas Mavericks potential partnership, which I pointed out as one that made some sense and that there was some reporting on, even that situation, like, there's some risk there that Dallas might not want to deal with. Like, basketball-wise, having Kyrie Irving in their driving kick system that's heliocentric makes a ton of sense as a slot into the Jalen Brunson role. But they also really, really like their head coach. And Luka Doncic is trending towards being the best player in the league. And they just had this really successful low-drama season where they came within seven wins of an NBA title. And Kyrie has some potential to ruin that as well. If he brings along the Kyrie drama, if he brings along all the negative things that come with the Kyrie Irving experience. So there's, a lot, as a matter of fact, you can probably bet that Dallas is looking at this like, no, thank you. That doesn't mean they won't end up with him. It doesn't mean a, a third random team won't end up with him. I said on the night of free agency that I put it at about an 80% chance that Kyrie would be a Laker. That's where I'm at right now. I think he, there's an 80% chance that he'll be a Laker. But yes, that means there's a one in five chance, which is a pretty solid chance that he ends up somewhere else, either as part of the KD trade or in some other move if the Lakers get tired and, and, and move on from this situation. It's always a chance. But make no mistake, the partnership right there for the Lakers and Kyrie makes tons of sense. 
in the same way that Dallas would be scared of what Kyrie could do to mess things up, the Lakers just don't have that fear. They just came off of arguably the most disappointing season in franchise history. They were the second leading favorite in Vegas and didn't make the playoffs in a field that allows 20 of the 30 teams to make the playoffs. It was a disaster. They just fired their coach. Russell Westbrook uh, has been incredibly toxic. So even if they flipped Russ for Kyrie and Kyrie misbehaved a little bit, it's a better situation than what they had last year. So that's why that, that, that partnership is so natural. But what Laker fans have learned over the course of the last couple of days is a simple reality. Brooklyn, as much as it makes sense for them to trade Kyrie to the Lakers, has no incentive to do it right now. There's just no reason. They are devoting their focus and energy to the KD trade, as they should. It's the one that is clearly going to bring them the most in return, and Kyrie might end up having to help facilitate that if the right offer comes around. Plus, no matter what, that Lakers offer is not going anywhere. The Lakers are going to be there to trade for Kyrie later tonight. They're going to be there to trade for Kyrie tomorrow. They're going to be there in a week. They'd be there in a month if they had to. Now, I don't think it will drag out that long. I, my guess is the Kyrie Irving trade goes down shortly after the KD trade. But there's no reason for this to go down right this second. But at the same time, there's absolutely no way in hell that he's a Brooklyn Net next year. And I always am cracked up when I hear these kinds of, of threats thrown around in trade negotiations. So many interesting callbacks to the to the Anthony Davis situation here. Like, like uh, we might bring him to camp and see what happens. Yeah, no, you're not doing that. When you're trying to run a basketball team and you want to set your guys up for success, you never bring drama into training camp if you can avoid it. You got young players in the group. You got veteran players. You have guys that are actively bought in to the goal and a coaching staff that's bought into the goal. You're not going to bring Kyrie Irving to training camp in the middle of a trade negotiation. That's not going to happen. They weren't going to do it with Anthony Davis and they weren't going to do it with Kyrie Irving. I will be stone cold shocked if he's at Nets camp. And if he is, he won't be at camp. He'll just be under contract with the team as they continue to try to facilitate a trade. They'll send him home. There's just no way they'll do that. I heard intel that the, the Nets might use him as salary filler. Y yeah, no, they're not going to do that when they can get a first-round pick from the Lakers. The, the only way they're going to use him as salary filler is if it's the only way to facilitate a trade with some team out there that nets them more than what the Lakers would give them. Like that, they can absolutely get a first-round pick from the Lakers right now. Why? Why would they? Why? Why would they blow that to use him as salary filler? Now, what they are saying is, yeah, like if it comes to a deal where some team goes, we'll take Kyrie and KD, or here's all the stuff we're going to give you, and we want them both. Then, yeah, like that might happen. But you're not keeping Kyrie as an asset for anything else than to just see what happens on the KD front. Now, the specific reason why Kyrie has so much power in this situation, even though you think he wouldn't, is his threats are especially powerful because he'll actually do them. You know, like Kyrie told the Cavs in 2018, in the summer of 2017, if you don't trade me, I will get surgery on my knee. Kyrie, not this past season, but the year before, despite contractual obligations, just up and left the team. Twice for extended periods of time 
without even telling the coaching staff. So his feeling when he sees his contract, when he sees his obligation to be somewhere, is not all that binding. So for him to threaten, like, hey, I'm going to the Lakers. It's the only team I want to play for. If you trade for me, I'm going there next year. I don't want to play anywhere then for the Lakers. That's a threat that he will actually fulfill. And it's a huge part of why so many teams out there are not interested in Kyrie Irving. Because he's not the guy that you'll trade for and convince to play. KD might be. Like, Toronto wasn't on his list of destinations originally, I don't think at least. But I know it wasn't his favorite destination. But as soon as he shows up and starts talking basketball with Masai Ujiri and Nick Nurse, as soon as he starts talking basketball with with, uh, Pascal Siakam and those guys, he's going to be ready to go. Because he's a hooper, first and foremost. And he does feel binding when he looks at his contract. He does feel an obligation to fulfill his contractual uh, expectations. Kyrie does not. And so all of that work Kyrie's been doing behind the scenes to try to put to, to let everybody know he wants to be a Laker, it is powerful. Look, Brooklyn got just like the Pelicans. Remember when the, the, when the Pelicans trade was happening with the Lakers? All of this animosity towards the Lakers. You knew the Pelicans hated him. All the reporting was like that too. Remember when the, the Lakers couldn't get him at the deadline in 2019? And then Adrian Wojnarowski is like, and the Boston Celtics will get their chance to trade for Anthony Davis. It's like, no, but Anthony Davis doesn't want to go there. And he's not the type of player that KD is. So Boston obviously didn't want to include the assets and they didn't get Anthony Davis. And then there, there were the Lakers. And yeah, they went down kicking and screaming. Yeah, it got ugly. But the Lakers sent him a bunch of stuff and then Anthony Davis was a Laker. Same situation is happening here. The Nets are probably so sick of Kyrie. They're probably like, screw this guy. If they had the opportunity to burn him down, they would. They probably will anonymously after he's gone. After they've made the trade. They have no reason to want to send Kyrie to his preferred destination. They simply have to. Because Kyrie has all the leverage. He's burnt the bridge with every other team in the league. And the Lakers are willing to give you a first round pick. Now, it seems to me like the Brooklyn is trying to haggle them for a second first-round pick, and don't get me wrong. That is actually sound asset management for the Lakers to be like, no, 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 no. That's enough. If we give you Russ, we give you a first, we take back Kyrie, or we keep the first and we'll take on your bad Joe Harris contract. But that's it. Those are the only two situations there. They don't need to overpay for Kyrie. They just might need to wait a little bit for him. That said, I still, all things included, Expect 80% likely that Kyrie will be a Laker, even if he doesn't get traded, even if he gets used as salary filler, even if some of those threats from Brooklyn come true, the far more likely scenario is the team he ends up on ends up buying him out, and then he ends up with the Lakers. So it just feels like an inevitability, but it's also something that is not a rush. Step up to the tee and take a swing at betting the PGA Tour on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet the Tour with a no-sweat first bet. If you don't win, you'll get up to $1,000 back in free bets. I cannot wait for the Open Championship next weekend. The two guys that I have my eyes on are Will Zalatoris, who you can get on FanDuel right now to win at plus 2,200, and Justin Thomas at plus 1,400. I love using this app. They have great promotions every day. It's safe and secure, and most importantly, you get paid quickly. 
So see for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up using promo code JasonT to get started with your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Promo code JasonT. All right, before we get out of here tonight, let's talk about this Rudy Gobert trade. So the Utah Jazz and Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leandro Bomaro, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, the 2023 first-round pick, the 2025 first-round pick, the 2026 pick swap, the 2027 first-round pick, and a protected first-round pick in 2029. So before we get any further into this, I got to admit that I was incredibly wrong about this. Specifically, that Rudy Gobert would ever fetch this much of a trade return. I got into several arguments with several people about this this year, and I was just flat out wrong. All I was saying, like, and you guys know me, I'm a huge believer, even a defender, I would say, in what Rudy Gobert does defensively. I've always just thought with his offensive limitations and the fact that he's going to make 40 plus million dollars half a decade from now, I didn't understand giving up real assets to strap your team down in terms of financial flexibility for a player that offensively is pretty limited. And so I was talking all sorts of shit saying there's no way Gobert would ever get this kind of trade return. And I was just flat out wrong. And I was stunned when I saw the trade. It was incredibly interesting. Now we all know what happened here. This was a textbook, new ownership group, new president of basketball operations. Let's just get in and stir the pot type of trade. You know, like you're foundationally now you're looking at this as Carl Towns cannot be our foundational defensive center. We need a real backline defensive guy. Carl Towns is a is a perimeter-oriented big, so it shouldn't mess with our spacing too much. Anthony Edwards is our real star anyway. You know, we're gonna build around this core. We'll build around the 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 periphery with this group. We'll be a much better defensive team. This will be great. I get the idea behind it. But I thought this was a fundamental misread of the direction that the NBA is going from Tim Connolly. If you guys remember, not the day after the NBA Finals, but like two or three days later, I did a whole thing on the five biggest things that I learned from this year's NBA playoffs. And in it, for one of the segments, I focused on the X's and O's related things. And in that segment, if you guys remember, my primary focus, the primary thing that I looked at from as a lesson that I learned from this playoff run is that the most important thing in the NBA right now, the most important roster construction piece is perimeter size and athleticism, specifically the ability to contain ball handlers. Why did I say that? Because every Rudy Gobert type of talent in the world eventually can be game-planned around. That's what happened to the Utah Jazz over the years. He became the butt of the joke, wrongly, as things would go south for Utah, you'd see Rudy Gobert chasing a shooter out and watching him, somebody knock down a shot in his face. Or you'd see him closing out on a guy and then somebody beating him off the dribble to the basket. But what you would forget or not notice is that the original compromising of the defense was always from Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley or Bogdanovich or any of their perimeter players. They were giving up slashing drives to the middle which would immediately compromise their defense. Gobert would step up. They'd kick out to a shooter who would either make a shot or they'd attack one more closeout and get another wide-open shot. It was the perimeter players that were the problem offensively in Utah. 
And I want to stay on, or defensively in Utah, excuse me. And I want to stay on the defensive end of the floor here for just a second. Because going over to Minnesota, from February 28th to the end of the season, when Minnesota really started to get going, they finished the year 14-7 and to claw into the play-in picture, if you guys remember. During that stretch, they were a top 10 defense over the last 21 games of the season. It's basically a fourth of the season, they were a top 10 defense. Despite having Carl Anthony Towns as their backline defender. And he's one of the lower end ones. He is a below average backline defender in this league. And yet they were a top 10 defense. Why is that? Because, as I said many times throughout the postseason, in the early rounds and towards the end of the regular season, they are a great perimeter contained team. Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, Jaden McDaniels, all of these guys, Torian Prince, all of these guys were a huge part of why Carl Towns was not exposed as a weak backline defender. If you are containing the dribble drives and making it so that guys are not getting clear slashing lanes into the middle, then your backline defense becomes much less important. So the problem here is Tim Connolly should have known better. Yes, in the regular season, when you're funneling guys to go bare like Utah did, you can functionally run a great regular season defense. And for the record, I expect the Minnesota Timberwolves to be a better regular season team than what they've been in years past. They'll be a five or six seed as opposed to a play-in team. And when they're a five and six seed, they'll be able to look at each other and be like, hey, we made this deal, we're better. But just like with Utah, it's not about the ability to funnel to Gobert in the regular season. It's about the ability to cover ground on the perimeter and contain ball handlers in the postseason. And in this specific case, it'll be the exact same problem. Malik Beasley and Patrick Beverly did a great job at the point of attack containing ball handlers this year. Jared Vanderbilt was arguably their best defensive wing last year. I like Jaden McDaniels a little, a little bit better, but they were the same type of athlete on the perimeter containing ball handlers. You are now going to be replacing those guys. Jaden McDaniels will likely become a starter. Torian Prince will likely become a starter. My guess is it'll be Ant, those two guys, Carl Towns, and Rudy Gobert. That sounds great, right? But now every other perimeter player that plays this year will have to be filled in around the margins. Veteran minimum contracts, young players, draft picks, things along those lines. Your depth in perimeter contain just got way worse. And as a result, especially in a playoff series when teams start targeting you and teams start game planning around the Gobert problem, that lack of perimeter defense will become an issue. So even if we forget about the draft picks and all of the capital that they sent and just focus on the basketball, I don't understand limiting yourself by taking away your depth for the sake of a defensive fulcrum that primarily will bring value in the regular season. And that's why I say that's why I do those lessons podcasts after each season. I did one last year too. Because pay attention to the league. This is what drives me nuts about the Lakers with Rob Palenka. I just feel like he's not paying attention to what's happening, what's happening around the league. If he was paying attention to what was happening around the league, there's no way he would sign Lonnie Walker, a 6'4 young guard, with his one mid-level exception slot, instead of a bigger wing that could actually play for the Lakers in a postseason series in a closing lineup. Rob Palenka 
hasn't been watching enough NBA basketball to understand that that was a bad idea. You had to use your one significant salary slot on a player between 6'6 and 6'9 that can guard multiple positions and be in your closing lineup alongside LeBron and AD, and he missed the boat on that because he's not paying attention. If Tim Connolly closely watched this NBA postseason every single game, he would have noticed that his perimeter defense was why his team was good in conjunction with Anthony Edwards' greatness, in conjunction with Cat when he was playing well. That's when this was good. It, 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 it wasn't perimeter backline defense that was the problem. They actually were defending pretty damn well. Obviously, Ant needed to get better. D'Angelo Russell ended up being a shortcoming in the playoffs uh, in, in the playoff series. Carl Towns was a little bit inconsistent, but they didn't have a backline defense problem. I was really impressed with their half-court defense against Memphis, against a team that puts a lot of pressure on the rim. And so I, I, I just, just strictly from an X's and O's standpoint, it was a misread of the way the NBA is going. Then when you get into all the picks and players they gave up, then it gets even more annoying and frustrating and inconceivable. Now let's go to the offensive end of the floor because this is where I think it gets really, really like dicey for Minnesota. Now what really happened in Utah, the real reason that the Rudy Gobert fit didn't work was the offensive end of the floor. On defense, Rudy was out kicking his coverage. He was covering for a shit ton of mistakes from other players I will go to the grave saying that Rudy Gobert has always been a very good defensive player in almost every facet of defense. Is he Kawhi Leonard guarding a wing? No, but he's good guarding a wing and he's good guarding a guard and he's one of the most dominant rim protectors of all time. The defense is not an issue for Gobert. Never made sense to talk about that. But in the NBA, on the offensive end of the floor, when you get into a switching scheme, which is what most teams do for most actions in the playoffs... When you get to that point, you have to be able to punish mismatches. If Rudy Gobert can go up and set a screen and they run drop coverage and he can roll to the rim as a a lob threat, that's great. Teams are going to switch it. Why? Because Gobert won't post them up. And it's not a Utah Jazz problem. It was a Gobert problem. He was not capable of quickly fighting for position, demanding the basketball, catching, and quickly finishing around the rim. That was his shortcoming. That's why things went south in Utah. It turned them into an isolation team because Gobert's screen and rolls were not working because teams could easily switch them. That was the issue. That will become a problem even further as we head into Minnesota. And it especially concerns me because Anthony Edwards is one of the best young slashers that we have in the league. I like Carl Towns at the five there with great perimeter defensive players. So that you don't have to worry about Carl Towns' defense. And so that you can play five out. Because in a five out situation, you unlock Anthony Edwards as a freight train going downhill. Now you have to work Rudy Gobert into the dunker spot all the time. Now you have to permanently relegate Carl Towns to the perimeter. Hey, guess what? It's going to be harder for you to face up from the high post. To fight on the left block. To fight on the right block when Rudy Gobert is on the floor. This will fundamentally change the dynamic of their spacing. And I don't like that at all. There are going to be moments where it works. There are going to be lob dunks. There are going to be plays where Rudy looks like he functionally fits into their offense. But for the most part, in the aggregate, 
when you factor in the way that Rudy Gobert's man is going to be able to help drivers around the basket, I view it as a net negative. So all in all, looking at this thing in totality, I feel like they got a little bit better on defense in the regular season, but worse on defense in the postseason. And I think they flat out got worse offensively. Especially with as good of a shooter Malik Beasley is. I just, I, I just, it, I, it was genuinely, genuinely confounding, but not the least bit surprising to see a new ownership group and a new basketball operations department go that route. I, I, they'll still be an interesting team. They still have those two wings and Jaden McDaniels and Torian Prince to put around those guys, uh, but they gave up all their depth for a player that I think actually makes them worse in the postseason. And I think this story ends with them being a five or six seed and then losing to one of the better Western Conference teams in the first round. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate your guys' support. I will uh, follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT, and I'll give you guys some show announcements about what else we have coming this week. And I will see you guys in a couple of days. Oh, actually, I'm headed to NBA Summer League on Thursday, and I will be checking out all the top prospects there. And I will have some special things lined up for you guys. Not sure exactly what yet. We're still planning some stuff. But like I said, follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys can see show announcements. As always, I appreciate you guys rocking with me, and I'll see you in a couple of days. The Volume. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.